Hi there. I'm so excited to welcome you to the Arthritis Life Podcast, where we share arthritis life stories and tips for thriving with autoimmune arthritis. My name is Cheryl Crow, and I am passionate about helping people navigate real life with arthritis beyond joint pain. I've been living with rheumatoid arthritis for 20 years, and I'm also a mom, occupational therapist, video creator, support group leader, and I created the Room to Thrive self-management program. I am so excited to help you live a more empowered life with arthritis. We're going to cover everything from kitchen life hacks to navigating the healthcare system to coping with friends who just don't get it. Seriously, no topic is going to be off limits on this podcast. My interviewees and I share our honest stories of how chronic illness affects our lives. This includes discussions about mental health, sex, shame, pregnancy, body image, advocacy, self-acceptance, and so much more. You'll hear stories from all ends of the spectrum, from a person who's living in Medicaid remission from psoriatic arthritis to somebody living with severe mobility restrictions and severe pain from rheumatoid arthritis. You'll hear how people manage their conditions in different ways, like medications, mindfulness, movement, social support, work accommodations, and so much more. You'll also hear from rheumatology experts who just get it. We'll dive deep into the science behind chronic pain and what's the latest evidence for lifestyle changes that can help you thrive with arthritis, including exercise, sleep, nutrition, stress reduction, and more. This is your chance to sit down and chat with a friend who's been there. Ready to figure out how to manage your arthritis life? Let's get started. Yay, I'm happy to have Marion today on the Arthritis Life podcast. Welcome. Hi, nice to be here. Yeah, and if you don't mind just letting the audience know, um, you know, where do you live and what is your relationship to arthritis? Well, I live in San Diego, California, um, and I've had arthritis for a little over 20 years. Um, and it's been an up and down roller coaster for me. Um, I've had a lot of ups, a lot of good things that I've learned about myself and about life. And there have been several challenges. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love that analogy of a roller coaster. I mean, it really is for almost everyone at some point, it, it becomes a roller coaster. So, I would love to hear, you know, since you've had it for 20 years, whatever you can remember about your initial diagnosis, you know, was it easy to get a diagnosis? Was it hard? What was that like? Well, you know, I was thinking about this before um, I came on here. And normally when I talk to people about how I was originally diagnosed, my mind goes back to the first time I met my rheumatologist. But I really, um, diagnosis came about on a routine check with a new doctor, new health insurance, and she asked me a bunch of questions. And I started to say, you know, my hands feel kind of like I have rubber bands in them in the morning and they're, they're really tight and like somebody needs to come and loosen them. And then eventually they loosen. And she asked me a bunch of other questions about my, my history, my family history. And I said, oh, well, yeah, my grandma had rheumatoid arthritis and she was really bad. And my mom had it shortly before she died, but it never, you know, developed into a big thing. And it was just a casual conversation. And she said, I want to take a blood test and I think you might have RA. And I said, okay, whatever. Um, and she took the blood test and it came back a week or so later that I had RA. And 
I was able to get, she was able to get me in to see a specialist within about a month. Um, between that time, it went from my fingers feeling tight to my hands swelling up in the morning and my feet and ankles starting to swell. Oh, wow. And so when I saw my rheumatologist, she was very positive and she said, you've caught this early. This is good. We've got a lot of new medications we can try. And, you know, if you were going to be diagnosed with, with rheumatoid arthritis right now, your body kind of picked the best time because now we have so many more um, choices and options. Um, And honestly, her positivity helped me feel better, but I also had that nagging thought of my memory of my grandmother in a wheelchair, not being able to walk or use her hands very well. Um, It was slow going in the beginning. I really, um, I was really, I had a hard time. I wanted to be the best patient I could be. So I always put a positive spin on things until several months into meeting with my doctor. She said, okay, you need to tell me everything that's going on. Oh my gosh. I've had that same conversation. Exactly. Sometimes it doesn't help you to be an optimist. Like I would tell my doctor after my son was born, oh, I think it's like about to get better. It's about to get better. She's like, but how is it now? You know, she had to really call me out on that, but it's hard, right? Because if you admit how bad it is, it's kind of scary. It's terrifying, right? And, and I, at that moment in the beginning of, of, I don't like, I say my disease, but I don't like to say mine because it's almost like, it's not, it's not my responsibility, but in the beginning I took such responsibility. Mm. So. I must have done something wrong. I must have exercised too much or too little, slept too much, had too much stress in my life, ate the wrong thing. I must have done something to get this, right? Yeah. And and it took me years to figure out that it's it has nothing to do with the person I am. It's a, a sucky disease and yes there are things that I can make it better. That, that I can do to make it up easier for me, but it's so random, it's ridiculous. Um, but I was trying to be the best patient I could be, right? So I was um, telling my doctor the, the best parts and yeah, it's getting a little better. It's getting a lot, you know, I don't feel this in the morning as much. And then one day I came in and I said, yeah, I can, I can deal with this, but when I go home from work, I walk the dog briefly and then I'm on the couch for the rest of the evening. And she said, I need to hear that stuff. I need yeah. to hear what you can't do. I need to hear, you know, how bad your pain is. Um, so that's when it started to click in. And I was very lucky. She said that close to the beginning um, mm-hmm. that I, it started to click in that I had to be a collaborator, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and gradually I learned questions to ask, like, is this medication, how long is it going to take before I know it works or not? That was a big one for me to learn, right? Because I was first put on methotrexate alone and that lasted about six months. 
um, before she added, my doctor added leflunamide. And that took three months before that kicked in. Mm-hmm. And when that kicked in, together, that combination worked for me for about 15 years. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I remember the day I woke up and I thought, I kind of feel like myself almost. Mm-hmm. This, this was, and it was crazy. Um, but I did, but the other thing that I struggled with throughout the 20 plus years has been, I feel good. How much can I push myself? Mm. And, um, trying to feel like I'm not responsible and I'm not I'm not responsible for my disease and I'm trying the best I can and I'm not lazy if I'm tired. Mm -hmm. And I think I was able pretty easily, pretty quickly to learn how to talk to people in my life, in my personal relationships and my Mm -hmm. family. Mm -hmm. But when I got, when I got rheumatoid arthritis, I had just moved to San Diego from Ohio. And this was my big move. I was going to make, I was going to change my life. It was my big adventure. And one thing my dad said to me in the beginning, when I, when I told him, he said, come home so we can take care of you. And that clicked in my head. And I was like, hell no, this arthritis is not going to change my, my dream, my adventure. Right. So I did everything I could to keep on that adventure. And one of the things I did was I really changed my identity and what I said in my job. What was your job? Sorry. What was your job? At first I was a leasing consultant at an apartment community. Um, And that was kind of, being a leasing consultant, I equate it to like, it's a fallback job. So, you know, like people who are waiters or waitresses, Mm -hmm. you know, when you're in between jobs, you're looking for something, you kind of take a waitressing job to pay the bills. And, Mm -hmm. and that was my, my job to pay the bills. Right. And so I stayed there for about a year and a half, two years. And then I moved on to be um, a membership development coordinator. So I recruited volunteers and trained them for a a big nonprofit in San Diego here, the national nonprofit. Um, So in my head, I equated being independent, um, being able to stay in San Diego with having good health insurance. Mm -hmm. So I did everything I could to keep a job. And keep that health insurance because it was terrifying to me if, you know, I was to lose my health insurance. Yeah. Yeah. So being employed with RA, it worked really well. The, the medications worked really well, but it also made me open to getting sick, um, catching colds, catching viruses, yeah. sinus infections and bronchitis were the thing that hit me the most. Um, Mm -hmm. 
And in the field that I worked in, especially in the second, the, the second job the, for the nonprofit, it was encouraged. And I think it's, I think this is a this is an American type of ID ideal or an idea. Um, but it was encouraged to push yourself as much as you could in your job. Mm-hmm. So you know, they would talk about, excuse me, I got to get some water here. Oh yeah. Go for it. They talked about work-life balance, right? But the people who were coming in early and staying later or working extra hours were always the ones that were pointed out in meetings and, Mm -hmm. and by supervisors, right? Um, I was told it was very interesting. Um, I was told you take, you seem to take all of the sick time once you've accrued it. And I'm like, yeah, I do. And in my brain, I was like, and the point is why, why are you, why is it a bad thing? It's almost like Um, that's what it's there for. (laughs) That's what I thought. It's sick time. right? And I knew I was taking it so that I could perform the best I could in my job. Um, but I wasn't about to say that. So I just would, would learn to say, oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah. I've been, I've been sick lately. Yeah. I, 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 yeah, I just didn't, I didn't want to get anybody else sick. Um, so I had to learn to kind of change my personality at work, um, hold Mm. my tongue a lot. Um, I'm much more vocal than I was at work. Um, and, and really there were so many things that I could have responded to. And I had to let go because I was afraid, um, that I would be outed. Um, so it was really frustrating. It was really, so you didn't talk to any of your coworkers about the fact that you had this diagnosis, not for a few years. Okay. Yeah. And I was, I was at this particular job for about six years. I didn't say anything for a few years and I didn't get a whole lot of support once I did because Mm. I saw all my coworkers running around like crazy, pushing themselves. And so when I did say, well, this is why I take, I take, I go home early or, you know, I take a break or this is why I come in at the you know, at the last, as, as late as I can, because I, this really affects me. Um, and there were a couple of people, um, supervisors and coworkers who said, well, why don't you take naps? <laughs> and I'm like, arthritis fatigue cannot be cured by a nap. Mm-hmm. And it's so difficult to explain it to somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, I had once I did tell my supervisor a few years into it, she, she told me things like, you know, um, well, use your, use your weekends to rest up while everybody else is enjoying their weekend and having fun. I'm, it's perfectly fine for, in, in her mind that I'm on the couch for 48 hours trying to rest up for Monday. Um, it was just yeah, it was really hard. It was really hard. Um, and my doctor had, um, suggested that I go to some support groups and 
back then, that was before there were apps and online communities and things like that. So mm-hmm. it was an in-person thing. And I went to several, but they seemed to stress me out even more because there was a gamut of some, some are doing really well and some are really struggling. And in my head, I'm like, is that going to happen to me? You know, mm-hmm. is the worst going to happen to me? And I went to, I went to several until um, one day this woman walked into the, into the room. She was an older woman and she, she seemed fine. She was very bright. She had like a bright look on her face. She was a positive person. And um, the only thing that was noticeable was that she walked with a cane, mm-hmm. but I mean, easily walked with a cane. She was, she was pretty mobile and she sat down next to me. And um, I was pretty quiet during the meeting. And after the meeting, she talked to me and she asked me, you know, what was my age and how long I had had our RA. And she looked at me and she said, you know, I got RA at your age and they put me on this medication. I think she said she had been on methotrexate the entire time. Mm-hmm. And she said, um, and eventually I got to where I needed to be. I was okay. Uh, and she said, you don't, don't, don't be afraid to take the medication that your doctor prescribes, mm-hmm. ask all the questions you need and talk to your doctor as much as you can with any questions. Don't be afraid to talk to your doctors, but you're going to be okay. Mm-hmm. And that was the first time in years that I heard that from somebody wow. outside of my doctor's office. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's huge. Yeah. That's huge. Yeah. I know. And I, I've heard that, you know, because I obviously run, you know, a room to thrive, like support group and education program. And people will say, oh, I'm worried if I join a group, I'm just going to get depressed hearing the stories. And, you know, it's, 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 it's hard to um, predict in advance, right? What the tone and the vibe of the group is going to be. But I do think that different support groups are just structured differently. And if it is like a free for all, it can become, you know, just an unproductive kind of venting session. Whereas I think I do try to structure things. I try to be really conscientious about like giving time for all sides of the disease. There's time to, for us to celebrate the wins and like, yes, I I got a second opinion and this good thing happened or, you know, something unrelated, like it was my kid's birthday. And, you know, and then we also do spend time venting and realize that there are going to be some people who have more severe uncontrolled disease and more, you know, upsetting things happening. And there'll be other people who maybe have more mild disease, but, um, you know, we, we all deserve support and we all deserve a community, you know? Right. So, and, and, and that's why I found your group so helpful because mm-hmm. it was well facilitated and it was, um, it felt safe, right? Yeah. I felt safe going there. And I think to be honest, because it's online, if it became too overwhelming, I could kind of zone out without offending anybody, right? I could just kind of turn my camera off and kind of close my eyes and say, okay, I, I need to, I need to step away from this part of the conversation because that's triggering me. Right. That is such a good point. That's yeah. Like, especially there are certain days, like I can't, I'm like, I cannot even hear the word COVID right now. Like, I don't want to think about COVID, you know, or vaccines are just overwhelmed, you know? And yeah. in an in-person group, it's, there's not that 
ease of being able to <laughs> kind of gracefully or what's Step the word? Out. Politely. Yeah. 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 So that's yeah. a point. Yeah. Oh. Um, sorry, I got you off track. So we were talking about, okay, you, yeah, you had your job and I do think I've worked at nonprofits. Um, you know, yeah, it can be really hard. There's a lot of pressure because everyone's there, like partly I'm sure for the mission, right. And they believe right. in the work and want to do a good job, but you know, it doesn't, it's not very, um, it's not a good practice to, to, to encourage employees, whether they have chronic illness or not to, you know, sacrifice their own sleep and their own, you know, lives just, um, cause the fact is that a nonprofit, there's always more work to be done. You could work yourself into the ground and still there's more to be done. So, um, that can be a difficult job setting for people with chronic illness, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. Depending on how it's structured, I'm sure there are some out there that are very, you know, um, I, I do know some people who work for nonprofits, I should say. I don't want to give an unbalanced view of oh, it. Oh, no, no. But yeah, any company can be, you know, treat its employees well or not. But then, so where did you end up working after that? After that, I went to another nonprofit. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, you're completely right. My experience was very different there. I still had some kind of, um, how do I want to say this? Some uneducated, comments or Mm. ideas. Um, I was in a better place so I could let that kind of roll off of me or respond to it if I wanted to. Um, I was lucky in that, uh, the HR person, the HR director and I became friends and she was very, very supportive and knowledgeable. And there were, I would go to her sometimes and I would say, you know, if someone says blah, 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 you know, and she said, yeah, they legally can't say that Mm, to you mm -hmm. or, you know, things that I didn't think about such as, um, when you call in sick, you you should not have to give a reason. Right. 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 Yes. Right. Um, and in the state of California, and then I think there are five other states that do short-term disability leave mm-hmm, mm-hmm. where you are guaranteed your position when you come back, right? Mm-hmm. If you need to do that. And I have had to take that twice in my career. Um, okay. The first time I took it was in the other nonprofit that was a little, little more difficult to, to work with. And I was... Um, I was told I needed to be off for a month and I was put on prednisone and, and all of that kind of stuff. Well, after a couple of weeks of resting and thinking, okay, my mission right now, because that's what my doctor told me, which love her for this. She said in these, in these weeks, your mission is to heal your, help your body heal. Mm-hmm. So that means rest and take care of yourself. Right. And after a couple of weeks, I, I woke up thinking, oh, this feels good. I feel good. I haven't felt this way in years. I feel good. (laughs) I want to keep feeling like this. So that was, I think six months after I went back to that job, I, I gave notice. Yeah. That was a learning experience. Um, And then the second time I had had a, um, a difficult time for a couple of years and I needed some time off Mm -hmm. uh, with the other job and I, and it was a much different experience, but yeah. Yeah. So that was a, that was a life, uh, a godsend for me. Yeah. 
It really is. It's so interesting. You don't know how stressed out you've been until you have a break from it. And then you realize, whoa, how was I even functioning on that level of stress every day? Like, yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's good that you took that leave and, um, you know, and I want to follow up on something you, you mentioned earlier about, you know, feeling like sometimes the other people, there's the impression sometimes that other people can give us, whether it's, you know, friends, family, coworkers, that it's our fault so that your condition is mm-hmm. your fault. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, before we chatted today, you shared that, um, that you have had other people in your life kind of blame you for your condition. And would you mind sharing a little more about that and what you've done to, to cope in those situations? Okay. Well, um, in the beginning I've had, you know, I say maybe the, after I told my, my first boss, I was two years, two or three years after I was diagnosed. Um, She said, well, you'll feel better if you sleep more. And Mm -hmm. why don't you try and go to sleep earlier? Why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? Why don't you take naps? You know, um, what, what else? Oh, and she said, because our job consisted of, you know, we had to be in the office for so many hours and we had meetings in the evening sometimes. Mm. And then they expected us to be in the office at 9am after a night meeting. And I had mentioned, you know, this isn't really helpful. This isn't really, it doesn't help me be more productive and it doesn't help me do my job better. Um, and, and she basically said, well, our department looks bad if you're not in the office at 9am. And I said, but the other department's not out of the office and working at 9 p.m. the night before. Well, it just looks bad. And yeah. And so in the beginning, I took it personally. I took it personally. I was like, I would go home and think, oh my God, I just, okay, maybe if I on the weekends, I just if I if I just try and go to sleep earlier, or you know, if I if I eat this, or if I if I don't do this or if I don't do that, you know, it, I, I was just a wreck because I just felt so guilty all the time. Mm. And as, as my self-esteem came back and I, you know, I was supported by my family, my, my dad at home. And, um, I met this really good guy who was supportive and, you know, um, when I told him what he had, he immediately went online trying to figure out ideas and, and information. And yeah, that's just, sweet. It's so sweet. So I had some of that. I had that validation at home when I stepped out of the office. So that kind of boosted me after, mm-hmm. you know, and after I felt better, you know, once when you're feeling more like yourself and you don't have as much pain, your brain switches on and your self-esteem goes up. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would basically challenge her sometimes. And I, I think I was an issue for her. I think I really annoyed her sometimes because she would say, you know, you've got to go and you got to get this, you got to get those new volunteers. You got to go and get this and, and work and do your best. And, um, I said, I, I don't agree. If I, if I don't have a good life balance, I can't do that. I can't do what you're asking if I don't feel good. And she really had a, a quizzical look like, 
what do you mean? You're not, you're supposed to rest when you don't feel well. It, it was just, well, and I think, so it's interesting because we have two kind of different overlapping categories, right? There's the category of like implicit or explicit blame, like where other people blame us for our condition. And then there's, uh, unsolicited advice and they can overlap, right? Because the unsolicited advice can be, um, things that are implying that if you just X or Y or Z, you would feel better. And I, I think sometimes this is just my thoughts, two cents on it, but context is everything, right? Because like, if someone who I know loves me and has my best interests at heart is like, Hey, like, you know, I was just reading about how like little mini naps throughout the day, like, and little rest breaks can really help people with autoimmune fatigue. Like, have you tried that? Like, and in a way of like, I love you. And like, I know you're struggling right. and like this might help as opposed to the way the delivery, it sounds like from your boss felt more kind of like you're a problem. Like your disease is a problem for me. I'm helping quote unquote you by telling you like, just try these things so that you can not be a problem for me anymore. And it could, who knows? I'm sure. I mean, maybe your boss did genuinely care about you as well and wanted you to right. you know, experience some relief. A lot of times unsolicited advice comes from a good place, but um, it can feel really frustrating when you're still getting to know yourself, your condition. And then, cause I don't know about you, but I actually, my default is to always assume everyone else is right. Like it's really weird. I'm like, oh my gosh, maybe they're right. Like Maybe it is my fault. Maybe I just need to take more naps. And then you do the thing and nobody wants to hear the feedback that I tried what you suggested and it didn't work. Like for me, it's like the diet changes. I'm like, I'm sorry. Like I'm aware of the evidence of dietary changes, helping rheumatoid arthritis. It just literally did not happen with me. Like, and so I like, I can't, I I'm, I'm sad too, but like, it's not my fault that it didn't work. Like someone else could eat the foods that I tried and have an amazing response. I didn't. And so, yeah, anyway, sorry. Um, just, I mean, I've had, you know, I've had friends too, and the friends at that particular job, because we were pushed to work, work, work so hard. Mm-hmm. And I was saying, I'm going to take time off. I'm going to take a nap or I'm going to, I I'm going to call in sick because I don't feel well. They were still having to push, 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 push. Mm-hmm. And so it was hard for them to understand or to empathize. Um, yeah. You know, and I would start, I started to say, this isn't healthy for anyone. I'm, I, you know, I would tell them, you know, this pace is not healthy for a healthy person. Right. And, right. and I think it was just hard for somebody to hear because in our society, you know, if you're, you know, I worked with a single mom with three kids and, mm-hmm. you know, or somebody or, or a woman, um, who was the main breadwinner. So you can't just say, I'm going to quit my job. And, you know, and this was before, um, you know, Obamacare or, you know, CA. So you can't give up your health insurance. You don't want to. It really, and I mean, I was diagnosed the same time as ago as you almost, well, 19 years for me. But yeah, I, that was a huge, and it's funny because I also worked at a nonprofit and it was wonderful, but, um, you know, it, it, regardless of where you're working, if you know that your employment is tied to your health insurance, 
it is it it is hard to advocate for yourself because you feel like you're in the losing negotiation pers- right. uh, position, right? right. The right. the winning position is the one that has the power. You know, that's the person who's paying your you know salary and insurance. So yeah, yeah, that's so, really tricky. Yeah. So after about fifteen years, the methotrexate stopped working, or mm. or it started working too much to where I was getting these strange side effects and I had to be taken off of it. Mm. Um, and I was on the leflunamide for about six months alone and then things started to go out of whack. So I'd say, so seven years ago, things went out of whack for about two years mm-hmm. and it was trying one medication. So I forgot what we tried, we tried Humira first. And that worked wonderfully for a few months and then it tapered off and didn't work. Hmm. And then there was a Rencia and same thing worked great. And then it tapered off. And then I did Enbrel and that was, that worked so well in the beginning. I thought it was, I, I was, I was like, are you sure? Um, <laughs> Is this real I life? Had, <laughs> yeah. I had so much energy. I had to take like 45 minute walks twice a day in addition to doing everything else. And I thought, this is, this is great, but this is really weird. And, um, and then it's stopped working altogether, like quickly. Um, yeah, it's really that your, your body develops. I mean, my understanding is that when it stops working, it's your body develops antibodies sometimes to the medication, just like it's developing autoantibodies against your own tissue. Yeah. So, um, so we, I, I was put on Zeljans and Mm -hmm. that slowly started to work. It's, and it really, it was like slow, I'd say six months. And I thought, okay, I'm feeling the effects now I'm starting. And it literally took, I think a year, you know, Mm -hmm. um, for it to, for everything to kick in. The interesting thing about Zeljans, and I told my doctor several times, she didn't believe me. And I said, my hair keeps growing and it won't stop growing. And, and she's like, I, is it everywhere? Not, just on your head? Cause that was on my head. Okay, it would be funny if your arm hair started just I like, know, no, no, <laughs> no, sorry. I, my hair, if you could see it's, it's a little bit above shoulder length and that that's kind of the normal for me. That used to be how long it would grow before mm-hmm. it started to look bad. Right. Okay. My hair just didn't stop working, growing. And, um, it took like, I'd say three or four visits before she said, I'm going to report this because yeah, I don't, I'm not sure. And I've heard after that, that they had started for some people, it does that. And they had started doing research on what they could use it for other for other conditions, but, um, that's so interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe people who are having a hard time with hair gain or hair loss, like sure. men They're or something. Yeah. 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 Interesting. That's yeah. good. That's such a good reminder. You know, if you're experiencing something that you think is rare, still tell your doctor or that you weren't prepared for tell your doctor because they may be able to report it to the pharmacy boards and all that stuff. And it might be, you know, you might be the first person that's kind of helping uh, identify a side effect. Yeah. So anyway, sorry. Yeah. That's, are you still on Zeljans currently? I still am. Zeljans and leflunamide together. And yeah, it, works, okay. it works, it works fine. Yeah. 
And that's yeah. really, and I love that, um, that you said earlier about asking how long the medication should take, because yes. it is, it is different for each medication, how long yes. it might take to be effective. So, yeah. 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 Um, I think one thing that I am, I'm grateful for throughout this whole journey is that when my doctor said, we're going to try this and here are the side effects. Um, and are you ready to start? I would say, I would, I would think about it. I would do my research if there were some major things that I wasn't sure about, but I would, I would take medication and I would not avoid medication Mm -hmm. because what I've learned after, you know, having about of two years of it not working for me is that when you don't take the medication, you can be losing out on time because mm-hmm. RA is progressive. So you might not see things that are happening to your body, but you may be having joint erosion mm-hmm. and you know, it could affect your, your organs as well. So when I have a friend or someone I talk to about RA or another autoimmune disorder, you know, and they're saying, no, I'm, I'm going to try going medication free. I say, you know, talk to your doctor and do, you know, read some stuff because it's, it can be worse than taking medication. Yeah. I feel like I'm constantly harping on that, but yeah. And it's, it's not to say, cause a lot of people say, well, I, so-and-so is able to manage it, you know, naturally. And it's not a matter of the, fa- it's not that nobody can, it's a, it's very rare and, yeah. and that the medications simply at the population level have the best evidence of effectiveness and they're well tolerated in a lot of people. A lot of people get really, really tight tied into the, or uh, freaked out by the side effect profile. And you have to remember just because a, there's a potential side effect doesn't mean that your body is going to experience it. I've been on methotrexate for 19 years, except for my pregnancy and conception and everything. But, um, and, and I don't have nausea or fatigue from, from methotrexate that I can tell. Um, yeah. like, I mean, it's possible because you know, I do have fatigue, but I don't think it's from the methotrexate. It's from the disease, but, um, but you know, it's like, you don't know until you try and you you're so right. It's, this is not just about how much pain you can handle, like joint pain. It's about systemic inflammation that affects the lungs and the heart and leads to uncontrolled rheumatoid arthritis is associated with a seven year reduction in life expectancy. Right. And if you can control that, if you're one of the, like the 5% of people that can control it with diet, diet alone or exercise and lifestyle alone. That's awesome. Do that. And if you're not, if you're in the majority, that's okay too. There's no shame anyway. So yeah, that's my soapbox. (laughs) If you have ever felt completely lost or utterly alone while trying to navigate real life with rheumatic disease, listen up. I am here for you. I created an educational program to help you go from overwhelmed to confident, supported and connected in a matter of weeks. And it's called Room to Thrive. After earning a master's in occupational therapy and completing hundreds of hours of additional training, I created a step-by-step guide to help you truly thrive with rheumatic disease. This is the only program I know of that's designed to improve quality of life for people living with inflammatory autoimmune forms of arthritis, like rheumatoid arthritis, psoriatic arthritis, ankylosing spondylitis, non-radiographic axial spondyloarthritis, Sjogren's disease, and more. 
During the self-paced lessons, you'll learn how to manage pain and fatigue, cope with stress, navigate relationships, and continue doing the things that matter to you and bring you joy. The goal is really to help you improve your quality of life and learn how to thrive with your rheumatic disease right now, rather than waiting for a distant day when it might be cured or healed. I really created the down-to-earth, practical, heartfelt resource I wish I had had when I was first diagnosed at age 20. If you want even more in-depth support, you can join the 12-week Room to Thrive virtual support group where you'll be surrounded by people who actually get what you're going through, people who will provide the encouragement, validation, and support that you deserve. Each group is expertly moderated, so you don't have to worry about the kind of misinformation that spreads like wildfire in the free-for-all social media groups. If you're on the fence, don't just take my word for it. Here's what Katie had to say in March 2023. I was lost and overwhelmed with my RA diagnosis. It felt overwhelming to know what to read, what to do, how to spend my energy trying to research on the internet. Room to Thrive did that for me. It's been like getting a crash course in my diagnosis along with a community who gets it. To see all the details, including the dates for the next support groups, go to the link in the show notes or bit.ly slash thrive room with a capital T and capital R. You can also just email me anytime at info at myarthritislife.net. And don't delay if you're interested because each group is capped at 16 people or less in order to make a small, intimate group atmosphere. Thanks so much for your time. And I can't wait to get started with the next groups. And I can't wait for those of you who are interested in the self-paced option to go ahead and join that at any time. Bye-bye for now. Yeah. Um, but getting back to, you know, how I deal with people and yeah um, how how people's opinions and how people's words affect me I took I, I did a master's program a few years ago it's, I think we started yeah we started in 2019 and um I found myself angry because mm-hmm. we it was a it was a program in counseling for um, students. So it's like a school counselor kind of position oh, or yeah. a program. And they had a very strong influence of um, social constructionism. And social constructionism is how we perceive things, um, how we say things, how we identify with things, right? And I found myself in the beginning in the orientation saying, I'm really pissed off. That's what society thinks of as success and who we say is successful. Mm-hmm. And I have a, I have a, an autoimmune disorder and I can't do a lot of those things that people see as successful and people label me lazy or incompetent or, um, you know, just not, not wanting to be successful. And it's really pissing me off. And you know, I started talking about, you know, what do we think is successful? Well, what I see on television or what I see in the world is you get up at 4.30 in the morning, you jump on your bike and you work yourself, you do a workout that's going to almost kill you because that's what's, that's what's important. You get your kids, get your kids up and get them dressed. You take them to school. Then you go to your job early and you work, work, work until it's time to leave. And then you go home and you do it all over again. And, and if you do that, you're going to have a really nice house and a really nice car and you're going <laughs> to look really great. And you're going to have all of these things and that's success and that's happiness. And I, 
thought, you know, that's not for me anymore. It's, it's mm-hmm. just not. And, um, it really, it, it, this arthritis, rheumatoid arthritis forced me to change my values or forced me to crystallize my values. Mm. These were always my values, right? I always thought that success wasn't attached to money or a job. It was, it was attached to how I was as a person and what kind of people I surrounded myself with. Was I able to get out into nature? You know, those kind of things, who I connected with. It was about connection for me. Mm. Um, and I, um, for our capstone project in one of my classes, we had to do a media, um, media research or a media study. Mm-hmm. And we were to pick an a, oppressed group that we either identified with or we had empathy for. And so I, I picked uh, people with invisible disabilities. And so, yay. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. Yes. So I picked people with invisible disabilities and I studied um, movies and I studied, uh, I think it's Renoir. Yes, he had, he had rheumatoid arthritis. Yeah. And um, I studied commercials. Mm. And, and as I was writing this, I was, you know, this is how people with invisible disabilities, this is what they have to deal with. And in the middle of the paper, I literally wrote in the paper, I just realized that this is my group. I'm part of this group. That just like clicked. And my my professor was so excited. Um, But the way that, for good example, um, one of the, one of the medications on television, I'm not going to name it because they all kind of say this, but so you take this pill or you take this shot and you go from being in pain and missing out on life and, and everything is dark. I think even one every the whole like atmosphere was dark. And then you take that pill and everything is bright and you're happy and you can move and you feel great. And some of it is true, but it's not that simple. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, um, well, and I feel so mixed about that sometimes because it's like, on the one hand, we were just saying how the medications can be so transformative, but you're right because it, those videos imply um, that you, if your disease doesn't get better, your life sucks. And that, that can't be true either. Right. Because that means that then people with disabilities can't have a full, vibrant, beautiful life. Right. And we know that that's not true. (laughs) Right. And I see that as people without autoimmune disorder, that's their interpretation. Yes. Yes. They think the medication should be doing, Mm -hmm. um, I would really like to see more people involved with who have autoimmune disorders, you know, um, make movies and, you know, talk about what it's like and show people what it's really like. Um, And it's not, it's not all awful. It's, you know, it's very good. Um, I've really changed the way I think about things and the way I have, I have much less guilt. Yeah. So, okay. I love that. I love that. Yeah. And so what do you think, like, it sounds like if I, if I could paint the before and after for you, not in a reductive way, but like 
you did, you said earlier that in your first job, when you were first getting used to your diagnosis, you did feel guilty when your boss was like, shouldn't you, can't you just take a nap or can't you just, AKA you should be taking care of yourself better. And you felt guilty and that I would have too, you know? Um, and now you don't, what, what helped you get from A to B? Like, was it experiencing these random flare-ups and knowing that it's not always your fault or like you can do the right thing, do everything perfect. And sometimes a flare-up just comes or what else kind of helped? Having healthy relationships outside of work Mm. and learning. I think I was really lucky with my doctor uh, because Mm. she really was open and wanted a collaborative relationship. And she was, she was open with me challenging her and saying, I don't like that. I don't No, I don't, I don't want to hear that. What about this or what, you know, she was really helpful about that. And, um, I think it was a growth. It was growth throughout that, Mm -hmm. but I learned and I don't know, I think it was partly survival instinct, but I would learn to tune out the people who were still in that mode of making me feel guilty, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, um, after I left that, the, that job that was really negative for me, um, I stayed in touch with a few people and everything there stayed the same, right? Mm. So it wasn't me, it yeah. was the environment. Yeah. Um, and just, I learned to kind of speak my mind, speak my truth. And let whatever was going to happen, happen. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but I think having, you know, pulling people who are positive and helpful and supportive, pulling them closer mm-hmm. and keeping the negative people at a certain distance, like, we, you know what, you're, you can have that opinion. That's, that's fine. But you're not, you're not getting into my head anymore. Yeah. Yeah. What, what good was that doing me? That's not helping my disease. Yeah. Yeah. It's not helping me be more successful. It's not helping me in my career. So where was it helping me? Nowhere. Right. Um, I think that helped. Um, and I think therapy. Yes. But therapy. Oh my God. Yeah. I, I started therapy like halfway in, I'd say. Um, and then um, I came to my current therapist, I'd, I want to say six, seven years ago. Okay. Um, and she's been amazing. She's been really amazing. But, you know. That's so good. I feel the same. I, I, I resisted therapy for a long time because um, I thought, I have so much support, you know, like whom I to need therapy. I have an amazing family, amazing partner, friends. And, you know, it's funny. I was just talking to Jan for the podcast. Um, um, and she, she, another patient, she mentioned, um, you know, her, her doctor told her, doesn't matter how much family and friend and loved one support you have, you need a neutral third party. And I was like, oh, I wish someone had said that to me earlier because I felt like I 
I didn't justify therapy in my head because again, I was like, I have so much support. Like, um, I don't, uh, my life isn't quote unquote that bad, you know, other people need therapy more than me, but yeah. What do you think it is for you about therapy? Is it that safe space? Is it the neutral party to kind of reflect back to you what you're going through or what do you think it, it's hard to put into words. I know. (laughs) I think it's, I think number one, it's safe space. And number two, it's the validation. Yes. So I could, I could tell, I could tell her things like, well, so-and-so at work said this, am I crazy to think that yeah. that's really rude or am I, cr-? and, and she would, you know, validate me yep. and say, you know, you're, you're going through a lot. And what's, what's, I don't want to say what's good, but what's helpful is that she has an autoimmune disorder. Oh, so no, that is helpful. Yeah. Yeah. So she's coming from a place of empathy and from, you know, she's already gone through some of the, some of the things that I go through. So, um, yeah, it's just that finding, what did she call it? She said, you're finding your mojo again. Right. I, I oh, got back to myself. Right. I love that. Yeah. That validation is so key. Like I remember so vividly my, my therapist changed offices at one point, And I remember it was her old office where she was the first time she, uh, I, I just remember it was so simple. I was explaining to her, but I was also minimizing some of the stuff I had been through with my health. Cause mm-hmm. I thought I was just there to talk about my trend being a mom. And like, yeah, my health is kind of getting in the way of that, like a rheumatoid arthritis, postpartum flare up. But like, I was kind of kept shoving that it's not that big of a deal. I'm fine. I'm fine. And I, she's like, that's, she just stopped me. She's like, that's a lot. Like what you've just described is a lot for someone to go through. And I was like, I know, I know. She's like, no, that's a lot. Like she had to get me to like hear her saying it. And I remember feeling so validated, but cause I'd be like, oh, I know it's a lot, but like, I have such a great family and such a great, she's like, yeah, but it's a lot. It's still a lot. You've been through a lot. Yeah. And, I, and you're currently going through a lot. And I was like, whoa, you know, like having, again, someone not related to me in any other way, validating that just, it was very powerful. And I know right now it can be hard during the pan it's, it's 2022 when we're recording this, that, you know, there seems to sometimes be a shortage or some people can't access therapy either due to like cost or whatnot. But if, if, if you're able to, you know, um, Absolutely. and even if there's a, some people don't know this, but sorry, there's a little bit of a logistic side note, but if you, if you find a therapist that is uh, quote unquote, like private pay or cash-based, you could still ask them to sub- give you a super bill, which you can then submit to your insurance. Uh, I, that's how my, uh, my psychiatrist that I've gone to, he is, he doesn't network with insurance, but so he's considered an out of network provider, but I still get the visits covered at like 70%. They're just not as covered at like 80%, which is in network. So it's not that big of a difference. I just have to, I pay up front, submit to my insurance which is right. like a two page thing I upload. And then they, they literally they give me the money, like 70% of the cost of the appointment. So that's something that a lot of people that get overwhelmed with like the payment part of it. But, um, but anyway, yeah, therapy is amazing. <laughs> yeah. And some therapists will do sliding scale too. Great point. Great point. Yeah. yeah. You can just tell them and, and, um, mine did, uh, mine, mine, um, she actually changed her, her fees once she knew that I had to quit my job and mm. you now we still wanted to keep on going. And, uh, you know, that's really it, nice. Yeah, that's so yeah. nice. Yeah. And a lot of them do that. You're so right. Yeah. And, um, 
Um, I also wanted to ask just, you know, on the, on the topic, I guess, of things that help our mental health, you know, what are some, if you don't mind uh, sharing some of the things that you got out of being part of the latest Rim to Thrive group, group of thrivers. Oh, so much. <laughs> one, one of the things that, you know, you said we were in class and you said, you said it, and I was like, oh, I never thought of that, um, was just accept being able to accept the fact that this disease is so random. And again, that's connected with my guilt part, right? So it, you could do everything right, right? Yeah. Everything right. And then all of a sudden, bam, something changes. And that's what happened to me several years ago. And I think it had to do with menopause. And so my mm. hormones shifted and everything. And then, so the methotrexate and, and the laflunamide weren't working well. And then the, it was just, everything went haywire for a while. But yeah, that's the thing. It can be so random. Um, the other thing, um, the journaling and the keeping a pain journal, that's so important, especially when you're in the beginning of your diagnosis. That's so important because, you, you know, I would take mine to my doctor and she would look at it and um, say, okay, so this is happening. Okay, so that's happening. I remember, um, I want to say the, my fourth year with rheumatoid arthritis, um, my favorite holiday is Thanksgiving and I can't go home usually for Thanksgiving because it's just, it's, it's a big hassle and it's, it's going to bad weather from good weather. And it just doesn't, didn't work for me. Um, so I would cook Thanksgiving dinner and, um, for my, my boyfriend and, um, his son and, I would do all of the traditional things, all of just the traditional foods. And for me, I was starting to learn that certain foods were triggers and would make me not feel well. And I was literally on the couch every, the Friday after Thanksgiving every year. And so doing that journal helped me go, oh, what was I eating? What did I do? Oh, well, I cooked all day. And so I pushed myself. Yeah. And I was eating some kind of some bad foods that I normally don't eat. Bingo. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, you know, after that, I, you know, gave my boyfriend here, can you do that? Can you cook this? And can you do that every year? And I'm going to incorporate some other foods that are healthier for me. But just the journaling, just the, just the keeping track and trying to keep track and just kind of finding your triggers. Um, that really helped because it helped bring home the idea that there's something I could do mm -hmm. and I could keep track of. And it also reminded me that everybody's different. Yes. Everybody reacts to things differently. And your own body might change over the years too. Yes. And that, that, that really felt like a, um, I felt was, what's the word? I want to keep wanting to say violated, but it's not, that's not the right word. When that first happened, I was like, no, this is, you're one of my safe things. They're like, no, I, I can handle this. And it's like, well, maybe not anymore. Maybe in the past, this didn't bother your joints, you know, but now it does. Like for me, it's the heat and the sunlight. I've become increasingly hypersensitive to those. I, I, I've like looked back at pictures of myself and been like, I don't remember feeling like completely horrible. After that, you know, we did our honeymoon in Fiji, you know, and that 
didn't, I don't remember. I mean, I've always been good about not getting too much sun just because I'm really pale and have skin cancer in my family. But, um, I, I have had, sorry, I want to say that clearly. I have had a family history of skin cancer. I don't have skin cancer. Just didn't want to freak you out. My mom's listening. Um, <laughs> she listens to every episode. <laughs> Love you, mom. Um, but you know, it's like, yeah, sometimes you can feel it's betrayed. That's the word you can feel betrayed yes. by your body, yes. you know, to be like, but I thought we were cool. I thought you were okay with this, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So the, t- yeah. So the, the journaling, the pain journal was such a good idea. and so helpful. Oh, um, good. The randomness idea that was so helpful. Uh, and just the little adjustments, like hearing about how other people do certain things. So I think somebody was doing needlepoint and they had like adjusters to, to bring the, the, the cloth and the materials closer to them. So they didn't stoop or they didn't, you know, changing the angles, just yes. those little things. Like I paint right now, you know, I paint watercolors and I sketch yeah. and so many times I've, been in the same position for two hours and, you know, I'm going, wait, this can't be good right now. So, you know, just, you know, finding something that has a different moving the angle of the, of the watercolor paper and and the board, or, um, just standing up and taking breaks. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I was not a moderation type of person before I got RA. Right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so learning the moderation part, was it was so helpful too. Yeah. Oh, it's so hard. And sometimes we do have to do feast or famine. Like, you know, one of the group members of the graduates group, like we still, you know, some of us still meet and do just the support part, not really the te- the teaching part of Room to Thrive. And um, you know, she had to go to a, a three-day Indian wedding. And it's like, you know, you can't necessarily pace yourself. You can do I said, you know, if you can find any like miniature opportunities, even just to lay down for five minutes, you know, if there's somewhere you can lay down at the hotel or facility, um, you know, but sometimes it's like, you're just go, go going. And, um, you have to kind of use all your energy and drain your battery, but on a, and and that's just worth it in those like, you know, special occasions, but in everyday life pacing yourself is typically helpful, you know, helps you extend your energy and, um, yeah. And, and hopefully this, you know, yeah, you mentioned learning from other people. It really is. It's like people who have, you know, who have that everyday experience is, is huge and can validate the, and it was, it's nice in the group to have people who are in um, different stages. Like you and I have, you know, had the disease for over, you know, um, over a decade and a half and um, other people just got, got diagnosed a month ago or a year or two ago. And sometimes people said, Oh, do you have like separate groups? Like for the newly diagnosed versus people who've had it for a while. And I was like, it's actually really good. I think to have both because the new diagnosed can see people like us who are like, okay, they kind of, they're still, they're still struggling, but they're, they have more tools in their toolbox. And, you know, and then the, the, us who've had it for a while might learn something from the newly diagnosed person who maybe, you know, they have the most up-to-date information, you know, they maybe research something that, cause I don't like research you know, every single day, something new about it. You know what I mean? I kind of do right. my job, but you know, in general, most people, you get to a point where you're like, this is my tools. And someone else is like, Oh, did you hear about this new thing? You know? So anyway, that's something that I enjoy about it. And one thing, and I've got the compression gloves I use when oh, yes. really, 
Yeah. And painting that really helped. It helps with the compression gloves because when I'm painting and they're in kind of the same angle, that helps. Um, The other thing I wanted to say was um, the idea of bringing somebody to your appointment, bringing a supportive friend, because I actually did that again. I I didn't do that in the beginning because I was going to handle it and everything was Mm -hmm. going to be Yeah, I can do this. Um, But I had to switch insurances recently this past year. And so I got a new um, rheumatologist. And so after 10 years, I have to speak to somebody new. She's wonderful. She's wonderful. But um, I brought my boyfriend because it was so, I didn't realize how anxious I was to see a new rheumatologist. I've heard so many good things about her before I went, but I was terrified. And I think the main reason I was terrified was to be, I was worried about not being heard. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And he didn't say a word. I think he maybe said two words and he didn't have to, but having him there and having him knowing what, you know, I, he and I talked beforehand and I said, okay, I want to tell her this. And if she says this, I want to say this. And I brought my notebook with me and I brought my journal and mm-hmm. everything was fine. I mean, it was, you know, it went, it was a really good appointment and I love my new doctor, but having that comfort. Yeah. Have, you know, because we don't have to do it all by ourselves. Yeah. You know, there are groups like, um, yours, you know, room to thrive. And there's, there are other people who get it or who try to get it. Mm-hmm. If you don't have rheumatoid arthritis, you're never really going to get it all, but you, mm-hmm. but you can at least try. Yeah. And those are the people that I want close to me. I so, love it. Yeah. I love it. That's such good wisdom. And, um, if you have a little, more time. I have some rapid fire lightning round questions. I just started doing this. I'm really excited. Um, um, so, well, this one could be a long one, but what, what's a nugget of advice or word of wisdom you have for somebody listening who is newly diagnosed? I just want to repeat what I said kind of in the beginning. It has being diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis has nothing to do with your character has nothing to do with the person you are, you are, you did not do something that karmically you're being paid back. This has good people and bad people have rheumatoid arthritis has Mm. nothing to do with, it's just, it's the role of the DNA dice. It's, I don't Mm -hmm. know. Doctors don't even know, you know, I mean, they don't, they can't give you a, it has nothing to do with who you are. That's beautiful. It really is. There's a great book called fooled by randomness because we all want to find a reason for things to happen, but sometimes it's just random. Well, and I'm, I'm a child of a person who passed away from cancer and Mm -hmm. after she died of cancer, that was always in my head. What can I do that can prevent to keep cancer away from me? And then that whole thinking in the beginning just went haywire with me and yeah. arthritis. So there's nothing to do with the person. Well, preach, no. preach. And do you have a favorite arthritis gadget or tool in your toolbox? I know you mentioned the compression gloves earlier. Compression gloves, anything that changes an angle when I'm writing or when I'm on the computer. Um, 
um, love those compression gloves. Um, mm-hmm. I haven't tried my, my boyfriend bought me some adjustments to my paint, my paint brushes. Haven't tried those yet. Oh, nice. um, oh, the pens, the little, the little gummy things that change the grip on the pen to make yes. it better. love those. Yep. Pencil grips. Yes. Pencil grips. pencil grips, but yeah, love. I love those too. They're good from like a sensory perspective too. Um, yeah. do you have a favorite movie you've watched recently or a book or TV show? Well, there's a couple. Um, <laughs> so I live in San Diego, um, July and August, we hit almost, we hit a hundred degrees. It was bright. Oh it was gosh. hot. It was gross. For me, I have the same heat and light sensitivity now. Mm-hmm. I developed that a few years ago. Um, uh, my my partner, my boyfriend, is originally from England, so we watch a lot of British TV shows. Mm. Um, so like things like Shetland and Vera and all of that. And one of the reasons why we watch them is because we see green countryside or we, I was oh. watching rain, right? So it's 90 or hundred degrees outside and I'm watching rain and I'm like, oh yes. This is um, so I like to do that. I like to do that. Um, one, book, one book that I'm reading and I can give you the author's name later, um, but it's called Rooted. And she oh. is, she studies nature and she studies the economy ecology I might be saying that wrong but how nature works and um, how the different systems in nature work so a lot of her work is she just sits outside and studies things or she walks outside and I think she lives in the Seattle area oh awesome so I'll I'll email you then her name but um so I miss, I miss Midwestern type of weather and Midwestern yeah. type of nature. So when I read that, I kind of go back to my happy place. So, oh, I love it. I love it. Awesome. Um, do you have a favorite mantra or inspirational saying that you turn to in tough times? I can do this. Mm. I can do this. I've done it yesterday. I, I've done other things that are just as difficult. I can do this. I love it. And what's something that's bringing you joy right now? Speaking my truth right at this very moment. um, Connecting with people that are are good for me. Mm -hmm. um, And um, being with my dog, she's very, she's just, she's a little bit nutty. She has she has anxiety issues too, oh. and she's had them ever since we've got we we got her. Um, but I think because of because me having an autoimmune disorder and having to struggle with some, and I have anxiety too. Um, so mm. I think you know we've had we've made a good home for her. So you know just That's keeping sweet. the the good things in the good people close that really that really brings me joy. Good people and good dogs. What more do you want? Exactly. <laughs> Yeah. And this is kind of a big, like meaning of life question, but, uh, last one, what does it mean to you to live a good life with rheumatoid arthritis? Um, to do what I can to help others who are struggling with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And 
having said that, I want, if you're newly diagnosed or if you're struggling right now, you are not responsible to take care of somebody else with RA. Mm -hmm. If you feel open to it, that's wonderful. Um, But be open to other people helping you. Yeah, that's so true. So many of us with RA and autoimmune disease are helpers. You know, we want to, and that can be one of the hardest things when you get diagnosed is, well, I don't want to ask for help. I want to be the helper. I don't want to be the helpy, you know, or the help, but you have to learn to ask for help. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I love it. Is there anything else you wanted to share with the audience before we wrap up? I'm so appreciative of your time. No, thank you. Um, I just think, you know, your group room to thrive and, you know, other groups that provide support for RA are so invaluable and, you know, reach out to them. If you have RA or other autoimmune disorders, you know, reach out to them because they're very, it's, it's really helpful and you don't feel alone. COVID and RA combined is so RA alone is so isolating and then add COVID to it. You know, it's just, it's been a rough few years for people. So, you know, don't take it on. You don't have to do it yourself. Yeah. I need to hear that message over and over in my life. I'm like learning that even within, you know, arthritis life, all the things I'm trying to do, I'm really needing to delegate more. And like, I don't know why I put so much pressure on myself to do everything myself, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> baby steps, baby steps. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> and then where can people, I'm going to put all your links in the show notes, but where can people find you online? If they have any feedback, they want to say, thank you for this awesome episode or ask you any follow-up questions. <laughs> Well, I'm on, I'm on Facebook, I'm on LinkedIn and I'm on Instagram. Um, I don't have my, I'm not really good at finding my handle, um, for, oh. um, Instagram, but I think it's, I have it cause you sent it to me beforehand. Well, and I was also following you, but it's invisibly underscore disabled underscore, um, Mary SD. Yeah. 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 So Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, I'm on all of them. Yeah. So, awesome. Yeah. Cool. Well, I really, really appreciate you taking the time. I, again, and the spoons, you know, the energy to share. And I know people listening have, have gotten something out of this, um, especially the ones that have been tempted to blame themselves or really internalize those messages from others that, you know, oh, if you just did this, if you just tried that, you know, um, you'd feel better. It's your fault. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for having me. <laughs> All right. Bye-bye for now. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the arthritis life podcast. This episode is brought to you by room to thrive an educational program. I created from scratch to help you go from overwhelmed to confident, supported, and connected in a matter of weeks. You can go through the pre-recorded course on your own, or you can take the course along with a support group. Learn more at the link in my show notes, or you can always go to www.myarthritislife.net. And if you like this podcast, I would be so honored if you took the time to rate and review it. I also encourage you to share it with anyone you know who might benefit from it. I also wanted to remind you that you can find full transcripts, videos, and detailed show notes with hyperlinks for each episode on my website, www.myarthritislife.net. 
If you have any ideas for future episodes, or if you want to share your story or wisdom on the podcast, just shoot me an email at info at myarthritislife.net. I can't wait to hear from you.